0: The following message is from Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. As you know, at the start of each new year, I share a message or a brief series on a theme for the year. And last year, I felt convicted to speak on the fruit of the Spirit. And it became an 11-part series that didn't end until the end of May. (laughs) And so this year, it's not going to go as long. I think it's going to be just basically a three-part series. But for, for the theme for 2024, I want to highlight the topic of prayer, the topic of prayer. And so join with me in a word of prayer as we get into the message for this morning. God, it is really hard to believe that we are putting a close to another year. What an eventful uh, year it has been. Um, And in this um, turning of a page to a new year, we pause for a moment to reflect on what's gone, uh, not only in the world uh, globally, but also what's been going on in our lives, in our heart, in our family in our marriage, in our children, uh, in our work. And we, as we spend a pause to reflect on that, want to give you this new year as uh, a sacrifice to you, that it would be a year that is pleasing to you, a year in which we really grow, particularly in this area of prayer, as we understand the invitation that is being given to every one of us to enter into intimacy with you. What an amazing treasure is being made available to every single one of us through this gift of prayer. A gift that we confess so often is left unopened to the side in the busyness of the lives that consume us. And so in this year we pray that each one of us would make a renewed dedication to put a priority of prayer in our lives, of talking with you, communing with you, walking, with you every single moment and every single day. May 2024 be characterized as a year of continual, unceasing prayer in our lives. So we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Uh, Although it may not be clear as we go on that this is a message on prayer, um, I reassure you and hope that it is a sermon on prayer, and hopefully by the end of it you'll see the connection that I'm making. Um, I want to begin, though, this morning with a thought that there is uh, something fundamentally wrong with the way that many of us think about religion. Um, And I share this in the foundations class that I teach. uh, But for too many of us, we think of religion as a solution to the afterlife problem. We think of religion as a solution to the afterlife problem. What I mean by that is this. We all want to know what happens to us when we die. I mean, it's a, it's a great mystery, isn't it? And it, frankly, it's something that puts real fear in us. What happens after death? And we believe that religion will provide us with that answer. And religion not only tells us about life after death, but what we can do to make sure that we end up in the right place in the afterlife. And in fact, I think many of us have been trained to share our faith along these lines. We ask people, Do you know where you're going to go when you die? It's a way that we share our faith. But the problem with this view of religion is that its primary motivation is one of self-preservation, self-preservation, that can easily lead to a very transactional relationship with God. In other words, it looks something like this. I have a death and eternal destiny problem, and God is the one who has the solution. And therefore, I will do whatever God demands of me so that I don't end up in the wrong place when I die. I'll go to the good place, not the bad place. I think it's important to note that Jesus doesn't present the gospel this way when he talks about salvation in the Bible. The Bible tells us that our primary problem is a broken relationship with God. That's the heart of the problem, not where you're going to end up when you die, but the fact that you are estranged from the God who created you. Does God care what happens to you after you die? Of course he does. But what I'm saying is that even our fears about the afterlife have to be understood as not just wanting to be in a comfortable place when we die, but wanting to actually be with God. That's the restoration that God is pursuing in our lives. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, according to Jesus, eternal life is not primarily about living forever and ever into eternity. In the right place, when we die, But at its core, eternity is about knowing God. It's, in other words, eternal life is ultimately about having a relationship with God. It's what Dallas Willard and Richard Foster have called the with God life, which is the title of this series. The with God life. That is how Jesus defines eternal living. Michelangelo spent four backbreaking years painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It is breathtaking. It is considered one of the greatest masterpieces in all of Western art. And on that ceiling, Michelangelo portrayed nine scenes from the book of Genesis. And at the heart of it all is the one particular scene that is entitled The Creation of Adam. And it is an image that I'm sure all of you will immediately recognize. In it, God is depicted as straining, almost lunging toward Adam, making great effort to reach out to him. There is an intensity on God's face that reflects his deep desire to make this connection with him. In contrast, Adam's pose is much more relaxed, reclining, resting on his elbow, almost as if he's lounging at the poolside. There is this casual, almost disinterested look on his face. And although his arm is reaching out toward God, it isn't fully extended or strained as God's is. And through the contrast in these two poses, could Michelangelo be telling us that it is God who strains to reach us while we are not nearly as interested in that relationship? Commenting on this picture, John Orberg would write, for nearly half a millennium, this picture has spoken of God's great desire to be with the human beings he has made in his own image. This picture reminds us God is closer than we think. He is never further than a prayer away. All it takes is the barest effort, the lift of a finger. Every moment, this moment right now, as you read these words, is the one timeless moment of divine endowment of life with God. The story of the Bible isn't primarily about the desire of people to be with God. It is the desire of God to be with people. The big story of the Bible is a story of a humanity that is doing all we can to run away from God. And yet in our rejection of him, it is also the story of a God who is pursuing us. And his passionate desire to connect with us and show love to us. Our primary problem is not where we are going to end up when we die, but about whether we desire a relationship with the living God who has made us for himself. This takes us to the Bible passage that I want to focus on this morning, and it comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and we will not be taken away from her. Mary and Martha, along with their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus will actually raise from the dead later on, became close friends of Jesus, almost like family. And this moment when Martha opens her home up to Jesus and hosts him, seems like it may have been the beginning of this intimate relationship with his family. And it's likely that Martha was the eldest of the three because she is always named first. And like many firstborns, she seems to be the dutiful one, the one everyone else leans on, the one who made sure that everything was in order and everyone's needs were taken care of. And so while Martha is frantically running around, making all the necessary preparations to host Jesus, her sister Mary is utterly oblivious, just not helping at all, and just relaxing by Jesus' side, listening to his teaching alongside the men, which was unbelievably inappropriate in that day for women to do. And I suppose we could really divide everyone in this room into two camps. The Martha camp and the Mary camp. Some of you really feel Martha's pain, don't you? If you're really honest. Now, I get it that she kind of looks bad in the story, but just be honest. Some of you know what it's like to shoulder the responsibility for everyone else and to cover over everyone else's shortcomings. You are always dependable. You are always frantically working in the background, making sure that things will work out in the end. On the other hand, some of you have a mild panic attack when you think about Martha, because you have Marthas in your life. And they're always lecturing you about what you need to be doing with your life. And you always feel judged by them because they make you feel like you're a slacker, don't they? And that you never measure up to their expectations. On the other hand, thinking about Mary is giving you guys some elevated blood pressure, right? Oh, you can't take dad to his doctor's appointment this week, huh? Even though you're taking the day off. Because I guess it's a personal wellness day for you. And you've booked a massage for yourself. Because, oh, God knows you you need more of those days, don't you? And I'm so glad that you have drawn such clear boundaries around the health of your life. (laughs) While the rest of us have to pick up the slack for what you don't get done. While others of you see Mary as the hero, we should all be more like Mary. Why you get so worked up about these less important things? Just relax. Just focus on what really matters in life. I mean, after all, isn't she the one that gets commended by Jesus in this story? Here's the point, though. Picking either Mary's side or Martha's side in this debate is totally missing the point of this story. The issue is not about the virtues of one personality type over the other. And I know some of you are thinking very really quietly in your hearts this morning. I'm so glad she came to church today and is hearing this. <laughs> Preach it, Pastor, because <laughs> I cannot say it at home anymore. But you can, <laughs> and then we can talk about the sermon on the drive home. Listen, it's not even about busyness and work, actually. There are plenty of passages in the Bible that talk about doing, working diligently rather than being lazy. In fact, when you read the Gospels, you can make a strong argument that Jesus lived an incredibly busy ministry life. I think one of the keys to what's really going on here that gets at the heart of the matter is found in verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. This word distracted is actually a really strong word that literally means to pull or yank somebody away from something. In other words, it was not Martha's busyness that Jesus was confronting. But the fact that her busyness pulled her her away from the one thing that mattered most in Jesus' perspective, which was a relationship with him. The the warning, in other words, to Martha is that she was right there where Jesus was and is even hosting him. And she is at the center of everything. And yet what he was saying to her was, but you're really not there. You're really not here with me in the way that mattered the most to him. I think it's very likely that everyone else would have seen Martha as a key player in this drama. She is at the center of the action. She is making sure that that event goes well. And at the end of the day, I suspect people would have complimented her. What a great hostess you are, Martha. What an amazing job you did today. Bravo, this day couldn't have happened without you, Martha. But in Jesus' eyes, she was missing the most important thing. And I think the warning to us is the same. We can be at ground zero of the presence of God and what he is doing in our midst and yet not connect to him at all. You may not only attend ICC, but you may volunteer to bring food, and you may welcome people as they come in as part of the welcoming team, and you're making sure that the live stream is going smoothly on YouTube, and you are in it. You are fully in it here at ICC. You might not even be here in this room right now because you're downstairs teaching our kids, because you are serving. And the truth is we need people like you Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to run a Sunday service. And yet, the warning of Jesus is this. We can be right in the center of everything and yet miss Jesus completely. Frankly, that applies to me as well. I could be preaching my heart out and yet not be with Jesus in any of this. What I'm trying to tell you as we begin a new year is this. We're so glad you're here at ICC. We are, genuinely. And for some of you, you have been making some really life-giving relationships here at the church and connecting with people socially. And you've even begun serving in different ways and giving back to the life of this church. And that's wonderful. But what I want to say is at the heart of it all, the most important thing is to understand that Jesus is inviting you into personal relationship with him. Jesus then offers Martha this gentle rebuke. In verses 41 to 43, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one, Mary, has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. That word translated as what is better in the NIV is literally the good portion, the good portion. And that's an interesting choice of words because that word portion most commonly is referred to a meal. And it's as if what Jesus is telling Martha in this gentle rebuke is, you are slaving away, killing yourself, wanting to prepare this meal for me. And that's beautiful it's a beautiful thing but in your busyness something has pulled you away from what is most important and what jesus is identifying as most important is i have set a meal for you that you are refusing to eat there is this portion for you martha that you are not enjoying in all your busyness you know I think Martha exhibits the telltale signs of somebody who is not being nourished by Jesus. She is totally consumed with herself. All of the sacrifices that she is making, all the lack of help that she is not getting from others. She's also filled with a self-righteous resentment and judgmentalism toward others, impatient and angry that her sister is not pulling her weight. And I think what Jesus is saying to Martha is, in wanting to serve me, you are not allowing me to serve you. And as a result, your soul is starving. It is shriveling. And this is the person that you're becoming. Even in my name, in serving me, you're only becoming more and more judgmental toward others. You are only becoming more and more resentful that others are not doing as much as you are or meeting your expectations. And all you're thinking was not me, but you. You are all that matters in this little world, in this bubble you're in. And I have set a meal for you but in your desire to serve me, your soul is not being nourished by what would give you life and joy and strength. Like I said, for some of you, you may be listening going, this doesn't sound like a sermon on prayer. (laughs) But I think it actually has everything to do with prayer. It is interesting that Luke, the gospel writer of this story, made the editorial decision to put this story right before he talks about Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray with the Lord's Prayer. That's the passage that follows right after this. And I don't think that's an accident. Because I think prayer is the doorway to the one thing that matters most, our relationship with Jesus. It's not about how busy you are or how carefree you are, what your personality type is, your Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram. It's not any of that stuff. Prayer is about the choice given to us every single day of our lives to sit at the feet of Jesus, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, and to receive what he has set for us that can give us life that can give us hope, that can give us joy. Dallas Willard says this quote about prayer that just pierces my heart so deeply. The open secret of many Bible-believing churches is that a vanishingly small percentage of those talking about prayer and Bible reading are actually doing what they are talking about. And Why it pierces my heart is I wonder, is this true of ICC? I think we would love to say that we are a Bible-believing, praying church. But are we really? I actually want to um, give us a little bit more of an extended time to pray at the close of my message today. Because instead of just talking up prayer, Let's just pray a little longer than we normally do. Theophan, the recluse, this uh, 19th century Russian priest, had this wonderful thought, and he said, Find a place in your heart and speak there with the Lord. It is the Lord's reception room. What I love about the quote is that I think he is acknowledging that prayer is a really hard thing for a lot of people. It's just been something very intimidating for many of us. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I feel like I never have the right words. I don't know what God wants to hear from me. I don't want to get it wrong. And I think what he is saying is, find a room that you can go to in your heart that place of pain, that place of need, that place of desperation, that place of loneliness, that place of anxiety. And make that the room where you will meet with God and say, God, come into this room in my heart because I need your presence in that place. I want to actually invite the worship team to come up and... um I don't know, we didn't coordinate this, so I apologize. You guys are probably like, what, what? <laughs> if we could just have the worship team. I guess really all we need is the keyboardist right now. But can we go into a time of prayer? Um, and I just want to invite you into your own um, place of prayer. I, I get it if for some of you, you're saying, like, I don't know how to pray. But in a way... Um, There is no formula here. There is no protocol. I think prayer is in its simplest form just sharing with God the things that are on your heart. And as you close another year, could I invite you to examine what's going on in your heart? If you could do a spiritual inventory, maybe in the honesty of your heart, what you realize that in the midst of so much that you are doing, in the name of Jesus you realize that your heart is a lot more like Martha's than you would want to admit. Rather than all the service that you're doing in God's name being more life-giving and joyful and leading you into deeper and deeper places of intimacy with God, the truth is your soul is shriveling and you're being so judgmental toward other people and you're so resentful for for why people are failing you in certain ways. And the truth is your eyes are not on Christ. Christ. Your eyes are on yourself, me, me, me. Why is this happening to me? And why do I have to deal with this garbage? And what's wrong, why, are, why, do, why do people suck, you know? Maybe that's what you're saying. And what Jesus is saying is, in your busyness to serve me, what you are missing is the fact that I have prepared a table for you, and you are refusing to eat. And the real message here is that God so loves us, that he doesn't just save us, but he longs for us, like a father longs for a child. His goal is not just to keep you out of hell and get you to heaven. His desire is to know you and for you to know him and to walk with him. Some of your souls are just so starving for this and you don't even know it. And you're taking it out on everyone else in your life. And Jesus says, there's really only one thing here, one thing that I desire that is most important in my eyes. It's just you and I here in this space, in this place of prayer, and you sharing the burdens on your heart and receiving my love for you.